Um, we're really excited that we are going to be doing a summer series, and this is going to be in the evenings in the courtyard. And there's going to be five total meetings starting on June the 13th. And then it's approximately every two weeks after that, but you'll see the dates on the slide and we'll be sure to send out some reminders as well. But for those of you who are with us, last summer we did something kind of cool and we had some meetings in the parking lot where we got together and we sang some songs, we had a brief devotional and just spent some time fellowshipping together and enjoying the beautiful evening weather. So we're gonna do that again this year and we're get, we've got five lessons for you from the book of Psalms that we're gonna go through. I'll be teaching three of those lessons. Michael Wexler will be teaching the other two lessons, but we've just found some really good content from you from the book of Psalms, and we're gonna take about five weeks to go through that with you on Sunday evening. So I know summers get busy. I know there's a lot going on. So take a look at those dates, write those dates down, put them in your calendar. We'd love to see you here on those Sunday evenings. So that being said, let's go ahead and jump into our final chapter of the book of Nehemiah. I hope that you've enjoyed this series on the book of Nehemiah. It's been really cool to look at just this, this overwhelming undertaking that God placed on the heart of Nehemiah and the struggles that he's faced and the, the victories that he's had and some of the different things that have happened as we've kind of unpacked this book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was not only a great leader, but he did some amazing things along the way. And I hope that you've enjoyed that. Today we're going to launch into our last step or our last chapter of the book of Nehemiah. Now, for those of you who know the book of Nehemiah, you know where I'm going with this. Have you ever watched a movie and it's a really good movie? It's got a great story and a great plot. And then you get to the very end and it just doesn't end the way you want it to. I, I know that I have. Or maybe you've, you've watched a movie and you get to the very end and your favorite character dies at the end of the movie. And it's kind of a letdown. The book of Nehemiah is very similar to this. If you were with us two weeks ago, when we went through Nehemiah chapter 11 and 12, we talked about the fact that they were celebrating, that they were rededicating themselves. And it was really kind of a, a crescendo, so to speak, right? Everything was going great. The people were doing what they were supposed to be doing. Now they were throwing a big party to celebrate the fact that the, that the city had been rebuilt and the people were back together and everything is great. And then we get to chapter 13. And unfortunately, our story takes a turn in chapter 13, and it's not the turn we would have liked to see it take. But I think this is the perfect example of the way that we have to approach the Bible. Unfortunately, we have to take the good with the bad. We can't just focus on the positive parts and just focus on the parts that we like and say, ah, we'll just ignore all of the other parts. Nehemiah chapter 13 is that very thing. I would have loved to have stopped this series at the end of chapter 12 on a high note and said, everything is great. They celebrated, they rededicated, and life is good. But I wouldn't be doing you justice, and I wouldn't be doing the scripture justice if I only taught the parts I wanted to teach. So today we're going to look at chapter 13. And what we're going to find in chapter 13 is, unfortunately, they didn't stay on that path of celebration and dedication. And that's what we're going to kind of look at today, but I think there are some very valuable lessons from chapter 13. Even though it's not the ending that I would have liked it to have, and maybe it's not the ending that you would have liked it to have, and that's why I kind of jokingly put on the screen, know when to quit. Nehemiah, why couldn't you have just quit at chapter 12? But again, that's not how we approach Scripture. All Scripture, right, the Bible teaches, is important. 
it's God-breathed, and it's good for our education. And that's what we're going to look at today is Nehemiah chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Nehemiah chapter 13. We're going to focus today on verses 1 through 11. But here's the bottom line. The bottom line is never stop growing. And if you notice, that was the title of today's lesson is never stop growing. Because what happens is when we stop growing, when we stop striving, we become complacent. And what happens when we become complacent? Bad things happen. We let our guard down. We stop doing the things that got us there in the first place. And that's exactly what the people in Nehemiah chapter 13 did. See, they got to chapter 12 and they were celebrating and they were dedicating and life was good. And they let their guard down. And they made some poor choices. And they let the enemy come right in to what was supposed to be the city of God and try to destroy it. And that's what we're looking at today. We never stop growing, and we can't let our guard down. And you'll see that's exactly what we're going to unpack here in just a few minutes. So there's three key ideas from today's lesson that I want you to think about as we, as we go through this. And that's that we've got to continue to resent evil and be on guard. And if you haven't read chapter 13, that'll make a little bit more sense to you here in a few minutes. And as we've talked about in the last couple of chapters, we can't neglect the house of God. And thirdly, through Jesus, God reverses the curse. And that's another key concept that we're going to look at today, both in Nehemiah and actually in the book of Revelations as well. So let's jump into our text from today. And that starts in Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 1. It says, On that day the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people, and there it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted to the assembly of God. Now you may see that and think, well, that was kind of harsh. Well, what's going on here? Well, Thankfully, Nehemiah tells us what's going on here. He says, because they did not meet the, meet the Israelites with food and water, but had hired Balaam to call a curse down on them. It says, our God, however, turned the curse into a blessing. So what happened here is these, these two groups of people were not doing their quote-unquote job, right, which was to serve the people. The, everybody has a specific job to do, and those jobs are very different. The job of the person bringing the food was very different than the priest, but they were still equally important. See, you and I, we all have a job, and it may be very different, and your job may not be up here on the stage. Your job may be behind the scenes, but that doesn't make it any less important, because, see, we need everybody working together to accomplish the goals. Now, I love this verse because, as I mentioned, ch chapter 13 is not my favorite chapter, but I love this verse because at the very end, it says Balaam had called a curse down on them. Now, and they had actually hired this guy, right? And he called a curse down on them, but it says, Our God, however, turned the curse into a blessing. We could, we could do a whole lesson just on that, right? How God can take a curse through Jesus Christ, and make it into a blessing. He can, and he will. Now, I don't know what the specific curse was. The text doesn't tell us. I read three or four commentaries. None of them told us exactly what the curse was. But the lesson, the message, is that God turned the curse into a blessing. And that is such an important thing for us to remember because as we look at chapter 13, there's some things here that we're just going to be like, why? That doesn't make sense. I don't like that. But God can make the curse into a blessing. Let's go ahead and pick up chapter, uh, verse 3. 
It says, when the people heard the law, they excluded from Israel all who were of foreign descent. Verse 4 says, before this, Eliashib, the priest, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of God. It says, he was closely associated with Tobiah. Now, let's back up and let's stop for a second right there. If you've been paying attention, right, who was Tobiah? Do you remember a few weeks back when they were building the wall? He was the one on the outside of the wall that was mocking them. He was like, what do they think they're doing? There's no way they're building this wall. He even made a comment that I found kind of funny that you may remember where he said, even if a fox jumped on that wall, that wall's fallen down. So here this man who had been mocking the people, right, who had been mocking God, who had been mocking what they were trying to do, had been invited or had been associated with now the person who's in charge. Really makes you stop and think, right? Why in the world would he be associated with Tobiah, who had been doing everything he could to stop the good things that were going on? Verse 5, as we continue, it says, And he had provided him with a large room, formerly used to store the grain offerings and the incense and the temple articles, and also the tithes of grain, new wine and olive oil prescribed for the Levites, musicians and gatekeepers, as well as the contributions for the priests. Let's think about that for just a second. Not only was he associated, they welcomed him into the temple and cleared out a space for him. This is Tobiah, who has been a bad guy from the get-go. And not only were they associating with him, they invited him in. They invited him to live in the temple, the place that, the room that was designed for the offerings and the things that were being given to God. They had invited this bad man into and given him a prominent place. This isn't something that you would see done. And especially you would think this isn't something you would see done with a bad guy like Tobiah. They invited evil right into the most sacred place of the city. They invited him in. They made way for him. They cleared a path for him. They opened the door for him. What were they thinking? See, like we talked about earlier, they'd become complacent. They'd let their guard down. They forgot that they're supposed to be on guard every day to prevent things like this from happening. Let's continue and see what happens in verse 6. It says, But while all this was going on, I, remember this is Nehemiah, was not in Jerusalem. For the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Sometime later, I asked his permission. Now, I want to stop right there for just a second, because again, if you've been following the story, way back in chapter 1, when God placed this on Nehemiah's heart, he had said he was only going for a specific time period. So we just have to assume, based on this, that he had gone back to fulfill his duties as the wine taster for the king, or the cupbearer for the king, if you will. So Nehemiah had left, and everything went downhill again. Nehemiah left to go fulfill his responsibilities, and everything went right back to where it started. And against all of the things that Nehemiah had been trying to accomplish. So if we look at verse 7, 
It says, And I came back to Jerusalem. Here I learned about the evil thing Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. Verse 8 says, I was greatly displeased, and I threw all of Tobiah's household's goods out of the room. Now, I love this. Nehemiah was so enraged that he went in and he literally took all of this guy's stuff and he just threw it out. And see, that brings up this idea of righteous anger. You know, as a youth minister, this is one of the questions I get more than anything else. If we're not supposed to be angry, how come Jesus flipped over tables? If we're not supposed to be angry, how come Nehemiah took this guy's stuff and basically tossed it out the window? See, it was this idea of righteous anger, which is very different from just getting upset because the traffic light turned red or getting mad at the guy next to you because he's not driving as fast as you would like him to drive. This was being upset about things that God is upset by. See, when Jesus flipped over tables in the temple courts, right, he was doing that because they were making a mockery out of what they were trying to do. These people were taking advantage of people and trying to make money off of people at the temple. And that's not what the temple was for. That was supposed to be God's sacred place. See, Jesus wasn't just angry because he had a temper. Jesus was angry because they were going against God's will. There are things that should make us angry. There are things that should make us angry. And again, I'm not talking about the guy that can't drive on the freeway, which don't ask me why people forgot how to drive during COVID. But for whatever reason, people are driving way worse than I can ever remember before. But that's a whole other story. But this is about being angry for the things that make God angry. When we see people being discriminated against, that should make us angry. When we people, see people being treated poorly, that should make us angry. When we see people trying to limit the rights of Christians, that should make us angry. Because those are the things that would make God angry. But there's a difference between just be, having anger in your heart and this idea of righteous anger, which again is your heart breaks for the things that break God's heart. Let's go ahead and continue in verse 9. It says, I gave orders to purify the rooms, and then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. Verse 10 says, I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them, and that all of the Levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So he's trying to put things right. See, they had neglected the house of the Lord and those that had been assigned to take care of it. And those that had been assigned, right, to make sure that the services took place. So what did they do? They left. See, the Levites would have been taken care of because of their service to the temple, and that wasn't happening. So they had to go back home. See, the whole place is in shambles, again, just like at the beginning of our story. And why is it in shambles? Because they neglected the house of the Lord, because they let their guard down, and they literally invited evil right into the middle of the situation. Verse 11, verse 11 says, So I rebuked the officials, and I asked them, Why is the house of God neglected? And then I called them together and stationed them at their posts. It's easy to look at Nehemiah chapter 13 and say, What a bunch of idiots. What were they thinking? But you know what? Sometimes we do the exact same thing. 
Sometimes we unknowingly invite evil right into our midst. Sometimes we let our guard down. Sometimes we get complacent. It's easy to do. When we looked back at at chapter 12, everything was going great. Life was good. They were doing the work of the Lord. They were doing great things. And what happened? They got complacent. See, as we're, as we're coming out of this pandemic and we're starting to, to meet back together and, and the leadership and myself and, and the staff are looking at, you know, what are some things that we can start doing to advance the kingdom? What are some things we can start doing to work in our community? But see, as we do this, we can't lose our focus and we can't become complacent. We have to look at keeping our guard up at all times. Let's take a look at Revelation. So flip your Bibles all the way back to the end, to the very last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 2. And I want to look at Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. It says, Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river, stood the tree of life. It says, Bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Now, now I'm not going to get too deep into Revelations because we could easily go down the rabbit hole on this one and spend the rest of the day talking about this. But, but I love this piece of Revelations for a couple of reasons. One is we're talking about the tree of life. What happens in Genesis, right? Adam and Eve took from the tree that they weren't supposed to eat from and they were punished accordingly. But now, as the Bible comes to a close in the book of Revelations, we see that the tree of life is once again blooming And every month it bears another fruit for 12 months. But here's what I really want to look at in verse 3. It says, no longer will there be any curse. It says, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Now, I love this because this this is very close to the very end of the Bible. And here we see the curse again. So we know that through Jesus Christ, that one day there will never be curses again. Because he's talking about the new Jerusalem, right? He's talking about heaven. He's talking about what can be and what will be one day for believers. And he tells us right here in the book of Revelations that there will be no more curses or no more of the accursed through God and through the Lamb, which is Jesus Christ. Way back in Nehemiah, God overcame the curse. All the way through to Revelations, once again, God, through his son, can break the curse. And he drives out the evil. And that's exactly what we just looked at in the book of Nehemiah. So, how do we invite evil in? We invite evil in when we associate with people that we shouldn't be associating with. That's one of the ways that we invite evil in. When we let our minds be consumed with things our minds should not be consumed with, we let evil in. When we're watching movies that we know we shouldn't be watching, when we're listening to music that we shouldn't be listening to, we're watching videos that we shouldn't be watching, we're letting evil in. 
we have to be careful about those things because we know that what our mind is consumed with is where our heart is. And we can't let that evil start to infiltrate ourselves, our families, and our church. We have to prepare for it, and we have to be on guard for it. You guys all know the story by now of putting on the full armor of God. We have to do that every day because as soon as we don't, we make ourselves vulnerable. As soon as we don't, we make ourselves vulnerable. Because see, the enemy, right? The enemy goes after people who are doing great things. If you're not following Jesus, if you're not doing great things for the kingdom, the enemy's going to leave you alone. Because you're not a threat. He doesn't care. But when you be baptized, or when you become baptized or when you are strong in your faith and you're spending time in your Bible and you're growing your relationship with Jesus Christ, that's when he comes after you. As the Bible says, like a roaring lion looking for those to devour. When you become a threat, then then the devil comes after you. Have you ever had those times where you feel like no matter what you do, things just don't go your way? No matter what you do, things don't go your way. Or maybe you lose someone close to you, or maybe you lose your job, and you start to question your faith. That's exactly what he wants. That's exactly when he attacks. And I know that I've been there. I've had times in my life where I go, man, I feel like I'm doing everything. I'm reading my Bible, I'm saying my prayers, I'm going to church, and things just aren't going my way. And I started to question that. And maybe you have too. Maybe you have too. Well, you're not alone. You're not alone. We've all been there at some point or another. If we're really honest with ourselves, we've all been there at some point or another. Even the Apostle Paul. If we look at Romans chapter 7, I love this. I love what Paul has to say here. Because I look at Paul and I think of all the amazing things that Paul did for Jesus Christ And I think of the fact that he wrote, you know, a good portion of the New Testament. But even Paul had doubts. He says, so I find this law at work. It says, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. Relatable? Relatable? No matter how good you're trying to do, evil is right there, even though you love the Lord. But let's go ahead and look at verse 23. It says, But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. It says, What a wretched man I am. Now, let's stop right there for just a second. This is Paul talking, who did some amazing things, who faced some serious persecution for his belief in Jesus Christ, calling himself wretched. Because he feels like that evil is winning. He says, what a wretched man I am. It says, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And then he turns it all around and he remembers. Because who breaks the curse? God breaks the curse. It says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's normal to have those feelings of maybe inadequacy when it comes to your faith. But we can't let that stop us and allow evil to come into our lives and to our families and to our church. 
Even Paul felt this way. And I use this as an example because most of us are familiar with the work that Paul did. But even Paul felt like evil was coming after him. And as we just talked about, because he was doing amazing things. Paul was doing amazing things to advance the kingdom. And because of that, Paul became a target. Why do you think Paul was persecuted so much? Because he was doing amazing things. Why do you think Paul was having second thoughts? Because he was doing amazing things. It's okay. But just like Paul, who realized that God will save him and protect him from that, we have to remember where that comes from. And that's why we started this lesson talking about how God reversed the curse and made it into a blessing. And we finished by looking at Paul realizing the same thing, that God breaks the curse and will deliver me from evil. Again, we have to continue to resent evil. We have, to, we have to resent evil. See, we can't keep pretending that evil doesn't exist. We just can't. Because when we do, when we pretend that evil doesn't exist, when we like to pretend, oh, there's no hell, there's no devil, that's when we get complacent. And that's exactly what happened in Nehemiah, is they got complacent. And they unwi unwillingly, or willingly, invited evil right into their mix. We can't neglect the house of God. See, that was one of the problems that they had. They cleared out all of the offerings to let an evil man live in the temple. They stopped caring for and providing for the servants of the temple and forced them to leave. In essence, they basically just said, we don't need the temple anymore. Put that in modern times. They're saying, we don't need the church anymore. Why should I take care of the church? Why should I serve at the church? Why should I give to the church? It doesn't matter. And look what happened to the people back in Nehemiah's time. And we have to prepare for battle. Even Paul had those feelings. So how do we prepare for battle? We spend time with Jesus. We spend time in our Bibles. That's how we prepare. We understand that evil is there, and then it's coming after me, and I have to be on guard for it, and I have to be prepared for it every single day. When soldiers go into battle, they try to be as prepared as they can be, right? They wear helmets and protective clothing, and they try the best that they can to prepare themselves. And does that mean they'll never get hurt? Of course not. And does that mean if we prepare ourselves as Christians that we'll never falter and that we'll never make mistakes? Of course not. But we have a lot better chance when we're prepared. And the only way that we can be prepared is to spend time in the Word, to understand where we're at, and to put on that whole armor of God each and every single day. And that doesn't guarantee us a victory, but it sure puts us in a lot better position than it does if we don't. If we go it alone, we're destined to fail. And I believe this. And I hope that you believe this too. And I have to think that you do because you wouldn't be here this morning if you didn't. But what's our best chance of defeating evil? It's by sticking together. By being there for one another. By praying for one another. By spending time with one another by being together as the family of God. 
that's going to give us our best shot at victory. Again, does it guarantee victory? Of course not. But I like our odds when we are all working together than if I try to do this by myself. And that's exactly what we're going to look at in our next series that we're going to start here in a couple of weeks. So that, that puts a bow on our study through the book of Nehemiah. Again, we looked at some really great things, and then, you know, chapter 13 comes along and kind of brings us back to reality a little bit. But I kind of like it. And here's why I like it. Because it's not always celebrations. It's not always happy times. We're not always on the mountaintop, right? Because what happens after you go to the mountaintop? You go to the valley. And I love that Nehemiah included chapter 13 because it reminds us we're not always on the mountaintop. Sometimes we're in the valley, but that God, through Jesus Christ, will always bring you out of the valley. God, through Jesus Christ, will break the curse. Maybe this morning you've never had that opportunity to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We can assist you with that this morning. Or maybe, maybe you've been a Christian your whole life, but you've fallen away and you want to come back to rededicate your life to Jesus Christ. There's no reason to walk out that door this morning and not be in a right relationship with Jesus. We're happy to talk to you. We're happy to pray for you. We're happy to help you in any way that we can as we stand together and as we sing. Set your church on fire. Win this nation back, change the atmosphere, build your kingdom here, we pray. Lord, uh, we just thank you uh, so much for the words that were brought to us today, Lord, and just um, this whole series uh, through Nehemiah, Lord. Uh, we're just so thankful for uh, what you brought to us and, and the takeaways that we can have from it. Uh, Lord, we just ask that you just cause a stirring within us, uh, a stirring that brings us back to just an overwhelming desire to be in your word daily, uh, to be in quiet time with you, Lord, so that we can prepare for those battles ahead, uh, for those headwinds and hurdles that uh, will undoubtedly run into in our lives, Lord, and that we might not just be able to overcome them for your glory, Lord, but that we might be an example to others around us, that they might want to know what it is that makes us different and how they, Lord, can get some of that. Uh, Lord, we just ask that you be with us as we go forward this week, um, that we might just uh, exude joy, uh, so much joy, Lord, um, that we just radiate your love, your grace, and your mercy. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Oh, hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Bring forth the race ye ransom from the fall hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him